Hello. Hello. Hi. How you doing? So good. Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals. And best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's not all glitter and rainbows. Or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and small home birth practice. I'm Meredith Rout, also midwife at the same small home birth practice. And I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula for clients in and out of the hospital and also birth assistant with you guys at our out-of-hospital practice. Yeah, you are. And today we have another fantastic guest. Who are you, guest? I'm Gina. Hi, Gina. Hi, Jess. <laughs> Gina, can you give us a real a real mic check? Sure. Like this? Check, check, check. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing. You sound so professional, like you do this all the testicles, time. Testicles, spectacles. I like the test, test, testicle thing. I'm definitely yeah. going to start doing that. <laughs> it's really catchy, right? Very catchy. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Gina. Who are you? What do you do? Well, my name's Gina. I have three kids who are all born at home. And I also have a daughter who passed away. So that's, what, that's why I'm here today. Mm-hmm. And I play the banjo for a living. And she's awesome at it. She's so awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's your band? What What is your What is your band name? My band name is the Gina Furtado Project. So cool. <laughs> it's a cool and name. <laughs> if you've you. listened to our podcast, she has sponsored a podcast in the past. Um, and so yeah, we love Gina. Uh, you're awesome, and we're so happy to have you on the show. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah. Today, um, it is a beautiful spring day. I love spring. We can't turn our AC on because there's birds nesting in it, which is magical, but also it's going to get real miserable in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I was in here working and I was wait, like, you're going to wait for them to naturally complete their cycle of life and fly off. What would you do about it? I don't Kimberly? think we have an option. I mean, you just have re- like carnage all over this poor little bird family. No. Sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. You can climb up there on a ladder if you want. It's only the second floor of a building we don't have any connection with beyond the fact that our office is in it. Well, you win. It'll, I guess they'll just <laughs> flourish out there. Flourishing away. Um, but we had a really good weekend. We got to do some dancing and some drinking and some singing. Uh, Penny's been saying the highlight of the weekend is that she got to wear purple lipstick. <laughs> that was that was the greatest thing that happened to her. My mom and I got naked in the hot tub. Oh, were you there, Jess? No, I was not there. That was the night. So the night that we went out dancing together... Um, I had been up at a birth that was an hour and a half away all night long. You didn't sleep at all. I came home and I slept for one hour. At all. And then I got up and I took a five-hour energy and I rallied. We mixed it in a mimosa. It was a great combo. Yes. (laughs) It was so much fun. My mom claims that that she didn't raise me to be this way and that I'm nothing like her. And she kept fighting me. But honestly, Mm -hmm. we're literally the same person. Yeah. I was really proud of her because your mom was also on Benadryl the whole time and she rallied real hard. (laughs) Oh, she's a special lady. She is. (laughs) We have an episode coming up where we actually recorded with Kim's mom. Yeah, we talked to her. Super excited about it, about them being multi-generational midwives. (laughs) So I'm super excited about that. All right. What are we talking about today? I was just about to loop it back in, but thank you for that. No problem. I'm here to keep you on track. Yeah, you need to today. Do you guys hear me laughing? <laughs> usually we don't care, but Gina has a time schedule because some people actually have a schedule. I know, right? And instead of getting to it like schedule. we should have, we've been sitting here talking about Halloween costumes for two hours. 
I mean, yeah. why not? <laughs> we'll get it done. So, yeah, today is the second episode in our series on loss. And so we wanted to bring Gina here to talk a little bit about her experience, your experience, sorry, I'm not talking to you, um, of your daughter, Phoebe. And so I've known you for a long time. We started having kids together. You yeah, know. we were just talking about how Lila and Jonah are like yeah. three weeks apart yeah. in age. I remember you're one of the like first moms that I remember going to like the birth circles when our babies were like teeny tiny and like breastfeeding yep. and talking, trying to figure it all out. Yeah, talking about vaccines and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that then I also was there for Max's birth. Yep. Um, but Phoebe was in between there. Um, and then you got to come to my birth with Ren. Yep, she that's true. She videotaped my birth with oh. Ren. Oh, I didn't realize you were doing that. Yeah, that it was awesome. at Ren's birth. And I think i that's the day I told you that I was pregnant with Max. I'm like, you had a baby. Oh. By the way, I'm having a baby too. <laughs> I did not remember that. <laughs> I am also going to do this. <laughs> Her hormones blocked out all thoughts of other children. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Phoebe and your experience because when we're talk we talked about miscarriage in the first episode and we wanted to talk a little bit more about like late loss and um so Phoebe you got pregnant with Phoebe what year was that 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 has been she will be 10 it's wow. her 10th birthday in I like a week that. from now oh my god yeah so it's been 10 what? years insane yeah. well that just so yeah it was 2011 that's nuts right so yeah, so, I mean, I found out I was pregnant, and then around mm -hmm. the 20 weeks, I had some bleeding, went to the emergency room, mm -hmm. had a scan, and um, they thought there was a heart defect, so they sent yeah. me to a specialist, and then so forth and so on, went to a specialist, and they yeah. told me that it was hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And so, I remember, because we were working together at that time, weren't we? Um, I remember talking to you about it and it was like really unsure what was going to happen whether she was gonna like come out and go immediately and get heart surgery or if she wasn't going to make it can you talk a little bit about that like the up and down of yeah there were tons of up and downs like initially just at the er when they did the first scan and they were like oh you know it's probably you know pr probably a heart defect Mo most heart defects like are easily fixable mm -hmm. not a big issue so went to the specialist so I went there with a lot of hope and, yeah. and no no concern of it being something that was going to be you know end her life yeah and then so I went to this heart uh, fetal heart specialist and he said right away um you know in the first few minutes of doing the scan like it looks like she has something called hypoplastic left heart syndrome mm -hmm. most of them don't survive after birth okay um, so that was that first one. I went back to him every two weeks wow. until she was born. And every single time it was a different, yeah. like a different take. It was like, oh, it's actually looking like we can fix it this time. It's actually looking like, you know, just you'll have to ha do a um, open heart surgery like two days after she's born. Yeah. But no big deal. We can do that. And then we went through the whole process of how you would treat a baby, an infant with, um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome it would be three open heart surgeries mm -hmm. before their first year was yeah. out just and so we went through all that stuff and were you having to travel a lot like did you have to go see a number of different specialists or like was that some was there someone locally who could do that for you i went to just one that was in charlottesville so that 
since I live in Winchester, that was about a two hour drive every two weeks and I was on bed rest. So, I mean, not a, not a huge amount of travel, but, um, still exhausting, very exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So like, was the, the bleeding then wasn't related, right? It actually was related, but it was because she just had, so she had hypoplastic left heart syndrome, Mm -hmm. but, uh, many other issues that they weren't super concerned about, but that were related to that condition. Part of it was that she didn't, I didn't have enough amniotic fluid. She wasn't peeing. Okay. And so that's why, so I had placenta previa. Gotcha. Because I had a very low amount of amniotic fluid. Mm. So that was, you know, a symptom of all these other issues that she was having. So it was just a compilation of things. Right. Pretty much everything went wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So talking about, because I'm trying to imagine how when you hear something like that and the up and down, like how you get by day to day not knowing what's happening and even knowing if she does make it the thought of all these surgeries sounds so overwhelming because you had your first son you know at, at home and everything's know, so easy straightforward different. yeah so can yeah. you talk a little bit about that just like s- some of your emotions like on a day-to-day basis yeah um I would say at first I had a lot of hope that this was all going to happen and I was completely bracing myself for my life to be totally different like Mm -hmm. I'd have this daughter with super super high medical needs yeah um and planning for like living near the hospital at the Ronald McDonald house they provide housing for families I was intending and planning on living there for a couple of months as they thought would be the case um but I would say that as the pregnancy went on Mm -hmm. and it just I just had more of a feeling that like it like I was just ready to accept whatever was going to happen. And I, and there was actually another mom who had had three late losses. Okay. And this was someone that was like one of the moms when I was a kid. So she was way older than me, but yeah. she, and I'd never really talked to her. She was my friend's mom. Mm-hmm. And she told me while everybody else, so many other people were saying like, Oh, there might be a miracle. Everything's going to be okay. This is going to be totally fine. She called me one day and you know, she, she just said like, the baby's going to be born, the baby's going to die, and this is all going to be a memory. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, what I needed to hear. I was just yeah. like, it, I just needed that peace to know that, like, okay, she's done this, and yeah. the, the reality is that's probably what's going to happen, and it's going to be okay. Yeah, I remember you know? having that conversation with you, because how many weeks were you when you did find out that, like, she wasn't going to make it? Um, I mean, I got the diagnosis for the hypoplastic left heart yeah. syndrome around... I want to say 22 weeks or so, mm-hmm. 20 weeks. So somewhere all the way up until then, though, because I remember we went to Karen Strain's neonatal resuscitation class together. Yeah. And that I was remember like right after she was born. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like talking about it and like working through it because we were birth assisting together. Um, so, yeah. So so how so you ended up going into labor. But I remember that when you went into labor at that point, you knew that that she was not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because it was early. Yeah. She was born at 32 weeks, I think. Okay. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, yeah, maybe a full term baby could go through these surgeries. Yeah. Not a premature baby. And did you know, was that a risk with what her condition was? Like, did you have it on your radar that she might come early with everything going on? Or was it? A <sighs> they surprise? never really said anything about that. Yeah. I don't think that was like a particular high risk, but there was just so much other stuff going on. I guess the um, 
Blifenoprevia and the low yeah, amniotic fluid. Like there was just so much stuff happening. Right. But the main focus was the heart. So there probably right. wasn't a whole lot of conversation around anything yeah. else that was going on, you know? Not a lot. Yeah. And I don't I don't think they in fact they planned a an induction date for me. Which oh, okay. don't even <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um but that was so I don't think they expected topic. a premature baby. Okay. And so that yeah. you were supposed to get induced at UVA, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. So with yeah. the previa, if since you went into labor on your own, what happened with that? Like, were you bleeding while you were in labor? Um, or? no, it, it was actually totally fine. Thank God. I mean, I'm so grateful for that. It had resolved by the time she actually. Went I to guess, labor. but I mean, I had been like on flat bed rest, you know, very strict flat bed rest because of yeah. that placenta previa. So, yeah, so I was so lucky with how that worked out that it was not an issue in labor. Still had a totally mm-hmm. natural birth the way yeah. I wanted to. And Can you talk a little bit about your birth? And I, because in this, like, forum, it's, like, for people who have gone through, like, this wide range of emotions to, like, hear what it could be like. So going into labor, knowing that you're not going to walk out of the hospital with, a baby to bring home yeah um can you speak to that sure a little bit and then tell us a little bit about your labor and your postpartum in the yeah hospital? sure um yeah I guess um when I was in labor I was just in labor yeah. I was just in that moment and I wasn't thinking about mm-hmm. the fact that she wasn't gonna make it I I had really like come to like because of all the ups and downs I came to this place of acceptance yeah so by that time I was just like you know, in labor. I was yeah. excited about it. I'm yeah. like, I'm having a baby today. And um, so, yeah, I had to go to the hospital because of all the complications. I didn't, the midwife I was seeing was not comfortable, not comfortable with trying a home birth and it probably wouldn't have been a good idea anyway. Um, but I went um, just feeling like any other labor. Yeah. I've heard that yeah. a lot from moms who have losses even before birth um where it's like when you're in labor you are just the laboring mom and you have all those hormones and it's the same after the baby comes out too like this huge mix of like happiness and sadness and like gratefulness but like it's just like this big mashup of emotions can you tell us a little bit about when like she was actually born and she was born and yeah i mean so it was for one thing it was an awesome birth because Mm -hmm. i had to go to the hospital and i didn't want to yeah I Are was you dreading here in Winchester it. Or did you I was at Winchester. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't have time. I was like, right, mm-hmm. I I didn't have time to go anywhere else. It was really mm-hmm. quick. Um, but I went there and I was dreading the whole hospital birth experience. And um, I went into the labor and delivery room after I'm like very composed, like I'm in labor. I'm going to have a baby like now. Yeah. And they didn't really believe me because I'm tiny <laughs> and they didn't know anything about me and and they just kind of like put me in this room and it was dark and there were no nurses in there they're just kind of like doing their thing and i just gave birth and i caught her myself no i'm like in the room (laughs) was no one in there with you when there there was like a lady like a nurse was like kind of setting stuff up just kind of milling around and i just like caught my baby got in bed and they're like oh she just had the baby (laughs) so they didn't know your history at all like were you able to give them any kind of like a backstory yeah i went in there and i was like i went to the front desk and i was like so have a baby she's not gonna live she has hypoplastic left heart syndrome um you know i told them everything 
I'm not told supposed him about to the placenta right previa. Now, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, so I'm definitely like about to have her. <laughs> and yet you were by yourself with all of that history. Like that's crazy. It was it was really surreal. It was a, a different kind of birth. I mean, but, she was small, you know, so it was like not as intense as my other births. Right. Um But you I remember you saying that, that was like a blessing because it was almost like your home birth at the hospital. Yeah, it totally you was. Were completely yeah. like left alone and undisturbed. Yep. They totally left me alone. How long they were hadn't you even there before before Phoebe came? Um, like in the labor and delivery room, yeah. like two minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. they like they put me in this room, like I guess triage or whatever, where they're gonna check. We'll me. be back later. Yeah. yeah, and they checked me, and they're like, "Okay, she's having a baby," and they just like put me in the room, and out she came. <laughs> Nobody was there. Oh my God. Yeah, it was pretty That's great. Crazy. So, um. Because you, you know, you have three um, living children. Um, how would you compare your experience postpartum after delivering her immediately to like what it was like when you had your other children? Like immediately postpartum? Yeah. Um, it was very similar. Yeah. Yeah. She was, it was still like a birth, you know, experience in that way. The birth high and. Yeah. Oh, the birth high. high yeah, for and sure. Um, and that was one of the things that was really incredible about it really yeah. was like you have this birth high and like this crazy energy that fills up the room. Mm-hmm. And then two hours later she died and it's like it happens again. It's like the yeah. veil into the other world or whatever yeah. is like opened twice in a row, which was really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. such a cool yeah. description. Oh, wow. It was really cool. Um, and just emotional and energetic. and Yeah. And so do you feel like... Um, I feel like people, it's hard to take in everything that's happening as it's happening. And a lot of the like grieving and processing happens in the weeks that follow. Um, mm-hmm. And like the, like, can, can you speak to your experience of like, cause you planned a funeral and you had people come and um, whether, how that helped you with processing or the things that did help you um, and the things that might not have helped you, things that people said or did that were unhelpful. Um, yeah, so, like, the following days and the weeks after she was born, you know, again, I was, like, pretty much, like, at this place of, like, I have no control over any of this. Yeah. And I just had to accept it. Yeah. Um, but it was really hard, you know, I had to, like, go shopping for a black dress, like, the day after my daughter was born, like, postpartum. Yeah. Um, and plan a funeral and like at a funeral I'm like my boobs are hurting because I've got a ton of milk you know for my daughter who's died um so I don't know the first couple days I just kind of like plugged on through it yeah like just made myself get through it but the the following weeks and the months were super hard because I was Mm -hmm. just couldn't sleep I couldn't eat I mean it's like all this natural stuff in addition to like of course emotionally I'm attached to my baby yeah but just the uh just the physical natural things that it, that attach you to your newborn baby was really surprised me yeah all the hormones and everything that attach you the same yeah. way as you would you're just be. my whole everything about me was was there like prepared to have a baby yeah um so it was that there. was super hard I'm trying to think of things that people said i would say i really felt supported by mm-hmm. the community around me and um, if anything, it was when people said things like, you know, that this was such like a terrible tragedy, like this is the devil's work. Someone told me it was the devil's work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, this is just the, this is na- nature. Yeah. 
nature taking its course and it's okay. So you had mentioned to me that in your processing that you've come to a place where you said that you wouldn't change it or what happened. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I guess, um, you know, this whole experience with having a baby that died, like I kind of look at my life before that and it completely changed with her because it changed my perspective so Mm -hmm. much. And it's just that death is a part of life. Yeah. We all are going to die. And the fact that she only lived a couple of hours, Mm -hmm. like what difference does it make? It was like a good life while she had it. Mm -hmm. And for me to, to sit there and like wish that it had been different. I feel like that's overstepping my role as a mother. Like as a mother, I'm there to serve, you know, to serve my child. And you did that and she passed peacefully and. And that was her life. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. It's hard to be on the other side of, you know, to be on the end of the mother who I did want a baby for my own reasons. Yeah. My pleasure and enjoyment, but. That wasn't. uh, But it was her life. Yeah. That wasn't her journey. Um, So can you talk a little bit about like the things that, so you have such a small period of time um, when this happens to like take pictures or have mementos or, or physical things to remember your child by. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any of those things or are there certain things that is, is it that you keep and they're like super special that helped you? Yeah, I do. Um, and actually the nurses at the hospital were helpful with that because they mm-hmm. kind of, reminded me to do that yeah which was really really nice um but I have some of her hair and I actually have her umbilical cord and a little yeah. heart dried up in a little heart shape um did you pictures. do that yourself or is that something they did for you at the hospital I can't remember to be yeah. honest I can't remember we ha- I had a, a a client of mine had a loss at the hospital recently and they did such a great job of of having mementos for the baby yeah um um, and so I was really, really impressed with that, but the cord would have been something different. So it would have been really nice to hear that they had done that as well. Or if, if moms want that, they might have to seek that out from a different, like, yeah. like, a, like someone who does like placenta encapsulation or I something. Think, I think it was actually someone who did placenta encapsulation. I think she did that now that, now that you mention it. <laughs> I'm sure it was such a blur. Yeah, it was a blur, but the nurses were wonderful. Yeah. They gave yeah. me a bunch of things to, you know, kept me on top of it to, to, get her get a little piece of her hair and get her blanket like they had volunteers knit little tiny hats and blankets for mm-hmm. premature babies and so they gave me that and um yep it was they were really supportive and nice and i know that now i don't know if they were doing it then but then they have the now i lay me down to sleep volunteers that come in and they do whole photo shoots and I think that's something interesting to talk about because I feel like if a person hasn't gone through a loss some people find it kind of like morbid or um right to take a picture of the body yeah right yeah and um I I hear that repeated a lot like how much your perception of that changes after you have a loss because it's like well this is my child and I want people to see that this was my child yeah um, I think sometimes it can like people are so worried about how a baby is going to look whether they're born preterm or born already passed and I just remember that being like a huge concern of mine was just like being really 
like scared to be surprised by how they looked and i just remember thinking like how beautiful mm-hmm. this child that was born looked and like it just re- it made me realize like why people would want photos because mm-hmm. like they are beautiful in like a really unique way and like it i was really surprised by like okay yeah i think i would want pictures too in the situation because i don't know there's yeah. just like a light to them right also. Yeah. and it helps you remember because i i i feel like you know with postpartum in general everything's a blur and you forget things and so yeah especially when you're plugging through all this like grief and funerals and doing what you got to do and then it's like okay now i can look back and i can really remember yeah like you you don't want to lose the details yeah so you had one child at the time that phoebe was born Mm -hmm. um so that's a whole other thing to talk about is the way that children grieve and process the loss of their sibling Mm -hmm. how old how old was he when you had phoebe he was just about to turn two okay so he wasn't maybe was he aware of like what was going on he was like i think he was um he was very like verbal like he could talk really well Mm -hmm. at that age um but how much he understood the like death i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. um but he yeah, I, I actually feel like that kind of changed his perception on death. Like right. it's just this is this is what he knows of the world. Mm-hmm. Some people die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And you were saying earlier that like even today, like you and your children have regular conversations about Phoebe, and she's just like yeah. a really normal part of y'all's lives still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My youngest daughter, of course, never met Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's the one that'll get like a little emotional about it sometimes she never met her but sometimes she'll just be like kind of like weeping in her room and she's like it's just phoebe makes me so sad (laughs) yeah but generally overall it's more of positive you know Mm -hmm. the kids just talk about her like Mm -hmm. you know like she's someone that was part of our family and now she's gone on you know gone to the next 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 phase next life whatever it may be your family right yes Mm -hmm. Did you ever find that people sometimes would like avoid talking about Phoebe, like the grief thing where it's like, we don't want to remind you that you lost a child or that you were grieving. How did that, like, did that happen to you and did it affect you or do you, did you find that people wanted to talk about Phoebe? Um, I would say most of the time they didn't want to talk about it Yeah, and it was easier to not you know, to not talk about it, but it was a huge thing that was happening in my life, you know, for the next couple of years, it was very forefront. Yeah. So I appreciated when people talked about it. And in fact, I remember, um, like a photographer friend came to the funeral and like you were saying, like I was, I didn't even think about it, but I was like, you should take a lot of pictures. Like Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to remember it, but I remember it being a really uncomfortable moment because I could tell that she was like, why would you want to take pictures? Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember her going and yeah. taking the pictures. Um, it was more towards the end of the, or was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. She, she did it, yeah. <laughs> but I think it, yeah, I think it does make people uncomfortable to, yeah, to really approach it. So, and that's part of like what these episodes are, or for how people can support someone who is going through loss in a way that is emotionally, upbuilding instead of not I know that would be different for everybody but Mm -hmm. what would you say were the things that helped you the most when you were in the process um well that's a tough one because it seems like it changes every day like it was like some days I wanted to talk about it some days I did not want to talk about it um but I would say practical things like food Mm -hmm. you know like the the dinner train meal train or whatever that is huge because like 
you know, it's one thing to do that postpartum when you have a new baby, that's super hard, but it just, I felt like that, that difficult, like that inability to function on a practical level went on for longer, Mm -hmm. um, because of the grief I was experiencing practical things and babysitting just yeah things that things that give the mom more space to grieve okay um and again that one lady who said to me like your baby's gonna die yeah it's all gonna be okay like just to you'll take it for what it is take it for what it is that's do you have anything else that you want to say about phoebe or your experience before we go to break or words out there for other people who may be going through what you're going with with like a fatal diagnosis um yeah I guess I would I wish that you know moms knew that it it, for me ultimately it has been a positive experience Mm -hmm. you know it's this huge thing in my life so sad to see my baby die yeah um but I have I have benefited from it emotionally so much and learned so much from the experience um and I do think I'll see Phoebe again Mm -hmm. one day on the other side so um just it's just part of life yeah you can get through it one day at a time one day at a time (laughs) one moment at a time yeah yes yeah (laughs) well it is do you want to say something else yeah i just this is a like everyone listening this is something i don't have experience with personally and not a lot i mean i have some friends that have lost babies too but i'm not you just make it sound and it's not a beautiful thing and like maybe it is in the moment it's so hard but you just made it sound like it can be with the right support and people you can make it a more beautiful than traumatic experience and I don't want to take the trauma from it just I don't know you just must be so strong (laughs) well it made me super strong like I really feel like that whole experience made me like okay so worst case scenario has happened Mm -hmm. and everybody's okay we're fine you know it's like yeah. you're forced to grow by the you're hard forced things that to get happen. through it. Yeah, and so now it's like if worst case scenario happens again, I'm like, okay, been you there, done that. It's do- cool. It's like a birth. You know, it's like when you go through a birth and you're like, wow, I'm more of a badass than I thought. <laughs> Look what I, I can just do. Like that. Yeah, yeah, just like that. <laughs> it's amazing. You're amazing. So, you're an amazing human being. Yeah, well, you are. Thank you. And thank you so much for um, coming on and sharing your story. But we're going to go to break. Did you want to say something else? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this topic. Can Boss. you just think of us every time you do the testicle thing? <laughs> so like oh, when, you're you know standing, I will. when you're standing in front of hundreds of people and they're cheering for you and like then you say testicle, I want you. A dozen people, <laughs> three people. <laughs> It's going to be hundreds, Jan. It's going to be hundreds. I just want our picture to go through your head in that moment. Oh, you are I will. not talking in the microphone at all. I was just saying when she says testicles, we want her to think of us. Yes. I will. I will. <laughs> all right. Let's go to break. Cue the music. Oh, yeah. Our sponsor for today's episode is the one and only Gina Furtado. She plays banjo for a living, and she also teaches banjo lessons, and she's really, really good at it. Um, I've known Gina for a long time. She is a um, huge supporter of home birth and women empo- women's empowerment, 
And um, she actually attended my birth with Ren as um, she videotaped it for me. And I also attended one of her births. But now she is playing banjo. Um, you can find some of her songs in the Gino Furtado project. Um, she also travels around, or she did before all of this coronavirus stuff. Um, I like to go and watch her when she comes to Brightbox. So if you've never heard of her, go check her out, Gina Furtado and the Gina Furtado Project. And we will be posting a link to some of her stuff and information for people to contact her if they are interested in taking banjo lessons, which I also believe she is doing um, over the computer or Zoom right now during coronavirus. So if you want to take up a new hobby and learn the banjo or just listen to some amazing music, check out Gina Furtado. All right, let's go back to our episode. Welcome back from that delightful break. It was a long break for us. It was lovely. We went outside and stood in the sunshine and got yelled at. We did get yelled at. I'm getting real tired. Yeah, you're crashing real hard. I think we drank all of that coffee. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we got yelled at because we were standing outside our office together talking on the sidewalk. And we were being very nice to an older lady passing by. And she walks by and she goes, be nice and wear masks. I think she said it'd be nicer if you wore a mask. Ladies. <laughs> ladies. We got called ladies. I would be, yeah. I, you can call me a lady any day. I don't get that very She's often. <laughs> anyway. So. We said, man. all right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> that's what we get for being oh, nice. that was on. Saturday yeah. night when I got home, it was really hard to not go to bed. Really? Because I was like, Matthew McConaughey, 20, oh, whatever. God. I got to watch this. <laughs> so hot. I love how, like, you won't stay up to hang out with us in the hot tub, but you'll stay up to watch 20 old yes, Matthew McConaughey. Will. That movie, I had a huge <laughs> poster of that movie in my bedroom when I yeah. was in high school. Freaking love that movie. Ugh, so good. Um, so, yeah, I, reflecting back on all the things that Gina said, there's Which just was so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, it took a long break for me to kind of process a lot of the things she was saying. And now we want to kind of like tie this all together because this episode is also that was um for a baby who died shortly after birth. Um, but this is also an episode for people who have lost babies while they're still pregnant and know that they have to then give birth to a baby that's not living and the considerations But I did just want to say that um, anything that Gina said was her experience. And I think that that's one of the most important things to remember is that each person that goes through a loss like this experiences it in their own way and their own way of dealing with the grief. Um, And so I wanted to say that if you're supporting someone who is going through that grief, that it's really important to be very aware of like of their, their religious beliefs and their process. Like let them take the lead. Like meet them where they're at instead of like projecting your own thoughts on what you would need or what you think they need in that moment. And I, I thought when she when she brought up something um, and I, I should have written it, written it down, but it, it mirrored what Nicole was saying last week, like just avoiding it like not knowing Mm -hmm. what to say and then it sounded like some people were saying things that would help them get through their conversation Mm -hmm. but without thinking like she doesn't need what i'm saying right now and then when she brought up that her friend from childhood when that woman called her and was like listen this is what's happening and that was helpful to her whereas to others it would not have been so just everyone is so different 
And it's nice to hear like from two different people now in the last two weeks, like she and Nicole did have different thoughts on some things, but they were equally right. Like sometimes you you just need to be, sometimes it's instead of like avoiding it or trying to candy coat it, just being realistic about what's going on can actually be really helpful for people when it seems like that might actually most people would avoid that but I actually feel like that's what we've learned from both of them and like just said like it is just two people's perspective perspectives right like a lot of people wouldn't see what Gina went through as beautiful um and like wouldn't that wouldn't feel intuitive to them and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that it's just a different experience and I think people are more willing to create space for that like anger and that sadness than they would be for like accepting it as like a normal life experience I just think that if you're trying to support somebody unless you 100% know their feelings and beliefs on like your baby died what hope do you have like because some people yeah do feel like it's the devil's work and that would be like comforting to them to be like oh but you're you're gonna see them again some people will get comforted by god needed another angel in heaven and other people will get angry about that and so it's like unless you 100 percent know for sure how someone feels about that probably you shouldn't make like large sweeping statements right like you're well-intentioned but like it's important to recognize what the impact your words have. Yeah. And so then we also wanted to talk a little bit because that story and I loved how she said she got through the hardest and the worst thing um, and she came out stronger on the other side. But for a lot of people listening, it might be like, well, that is the thought of going through that is so, so scary. So we wanted to share a little bit of the numbers of how many people actually go through losses like this to show that this is definitely not like a majority of babies thing. It's actually a pretty small number of people who have to experience this in their lives, which also makes it even harder to get support because it's not common. Yeah. Well, like just said, like we're tackling a couple of different things in this episode. So like, what Gina experienced, which is considered an infant, like considered an infant loss or infant mortality. And every country is different. But in the United States, a loss before the first year of life, it's 5.6 of every thousand live births. Mm-hmm. So what we said, that's 0.05 per, or no. Yeah. Zero, zero, 0.05%. And that's up to the first Ish. year of life. So mm-hmm. that's not just babies who would have some kind of congenital anomaly and don't live past, you know, the initial postpartum period, Mm -hmm. which didn't you look up numbers, Kim, for that? Yeah, I I looked up for um, just for the reasons for loss. Like, so 3% of all babies will have a congenital anomaly, which is what Phoebe had. Yeah. So 3% of all babies that are conceived will have some sort of congenital anomaly and 2%, so two out of three of those babies will not live. Yeah. Um, so for the 1%, we're, we include things such as Down syndrome and neural tube defects or heart defects that can be... Or spina bifida. Yeah. Right. Sorry, that can be defects. fixed um, with surgery. So I just wanted to clarify like what the numbers look like for that. Yeah. Because it's if we say, oh, your baby has a congenital anomaly, it's like it's a very panicking thing. But if you say your baby could have Down syndrome... It's kind of like, for some reason, that's so, it's so common. Yeah. You know, not that every baby, but it's just, to me, that sounds way more common than like an anomaly that, you know, so I just want to put into perspective that some of these anomalies we do see every day Mm -hmm. and these babies do go on to live like very productive lives. So 
I know we wanted to talk a little bit more because we talked so much in the miscarriage episode about like the feelings of loss. Um, and so when it comes to late loss, there's some extra considerations to take into when you're talking about like giving birth to a baby that's not alive or even giving birth to a baby that you know is going to pass shortly after birth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where it's like trying to think of ritual to help preserve the memory of the baby. And in my experience um, uh, of helping women through loss, um, it can seem very, very scary. So if they find out, like you were saying earlier, if they find out that their baby passed away, um, they, it feels really overwhelming and scary. The thought of like looking at their baby and not knowing what to expect. And, um, yeah. And I mean like they, in the hospital, like they even ask you, like, do you want to see your baby? Like th- it's actually an option not to, if you don't want to. And I, that is a choice that people do yeah. make. And I would say though, um, uh, I, and this is just my experience of talking to a lot of people who have had losses. Um, and hearing moms when they're so overwhelmed, like I think of that when we talk to moms when they're late in labor and they're like, do you want to go to the bathroom? What position do you want to be? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And like so those are can, conversations that need to happen really in advance. Yeah. So it can. can be so overwhelming. But I will say like my overwhelming um, experience has been that people never regret seeing their babies well the research the actually shows that again it's like a personal choice and you have to fit whatever works best for you but the research does show that if you see your baby it does help in like the acceptance and healing process yeah with loss i was with a friend a long time ago that had um a very late pregnancy loss and in the hospital the nurses said we we try we can't force them to see their baby but we will do everything in our power to make sure they at least get to see mm-hmm. the baby, if not hold the baby, because we, they've never had anyone say that was a good choice. Like, so sh- it may be the right choice for some people, but in the nurse's experience, and they see it quite often in the hospital, it was like, this is what we really try yeah. to urge. So, so the mom has closure and peace. Yeah. To and the so extent I that they can. a close friend who um, lost two babies, um, a little after 20 weeks and I remember that question and her sister had lost twins as well and she had not looked at her babies and I remember having that conversation in the hospital when they were asking her and she's like I don't know I don't know what is it going to look like what is it going to be like like it's so overwhelming and scary and um, I was trying to encourage her to like that they're going to be just tiny little babies and they're going to yeah. be perfect. And um, her sister ended up coming out, which I had never had a conversation with her sister. And she was like, not looking at my babies is one of my biggest regrets in life. And it's like, you can't ever get it back. Mm. And so I would say for it's even so for people who feel too overwhelmed at that moment, um, as a support person, like you like offering to take pictures or whatever that you Mm -hmm. keep in an envelope. And if they decide they want to see their babies later so that it's like better to have it and not need it than never need it and not have it. And I know back in like the fifties and sixties when there was losses, they didn't allow the moms to see their babies at all. And I, the psychology behind that, I knew one, woman who um, was like friends with my grandmother who had a stillbirth back in like the late 50s 
And her whole life, my mom would always tell me that the, the nurses took the baby and she never got to see it. And they just mentioned to her like, oh, she has the most beautiful button nose. And her entire life, all the way up until she died, she would still talk about that baby and the fact that the baby had a cute button nose because she had nothing else yeah. to take away from that experience. And it's you don't just forget no that baby there. doesn't just disappear. And so talking about some of the like ritual of remembrance, I think it's so important, but can be so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I, um, I also think preparation can be really powerful too like knowing what to expect just like everything we talk about um I'm really grateful for like Nikki like when we had a stillbirth like I called her and asked her like what to expect because it just like it's important like you're talking about remembrance but I think it's even as important to know what to expect as well because like I had no idea I had the same concerns like I was really worried about what the baby was gonna look like and so I feel like that's a really great resources are like uh, lost doulas mm-hmm. or bereavement doulas like even if it's you're not sure you need them at, for support afterwards like even just finding someone to call and ask yeah like what should I expect like what's this process gonna look like what will labor feel like how will it be different how will it be the same mm-hmm. like my baby's this far along what should I expect to see yeah um that was hugely beneficial because it just made it far less shocking in the moment yeah Um, and like I said it was like really beautiful Mm -hmm. you know I don't actually in hindsight really know if I needed the preparation because it was so like normal in so many ways but I do think it helps a lot to to ease your mind before you go into it And so it's like those rituals that we do, though, they help us in the grieving process. And so so many different people have so many different rituals. Mm -hmm. Some people do on a funeral and don't. But there's so many like options now for spending more time with your baby before, you know, even if they've passed, like they have the special like cold cradles or whatever that keep it so that you can see your baby for pretty much as long as Mm -hmm. you feel like you want to or need to. But that's like a really hard process. And It's so interesting to me how Gina was talking about the mixing of joy and grief, Mm, um, which is something that doesn't get talked about. I don't think because like she was saying, you have all these hormones from your birth. You released all those like falling in love hormones that you would, whether you're bringing your baby home or not. And so, um, yeah, you fall in love with your baby and then you are proud of yourself for giving birth and you have this baby that you love, but then there's this weird societal thing where it's like, am I allowed to talk about that? And I had a friend who lost the baby at 36 weeks when I was like a teenager and I remember her just like, she just wanted to walk around and talk about her baby everywhere. And if she saw someone had a new baby, she'd be like, I just had a baby at the same time too. Like, but it was that weird societal pressure that people get weird about that because it's like you don't have your baby but i do how do you respond to it like i i mean even after this if someone said that to me it would it would take a second yeah you know what i mean to be like oh oh okay let me respond to that the right so i wonder what the right response would be because if somebody's saying that to you they obviously want to share it so you know my first response would be like oh my goodness was it a boy or a girl yeah what was his name just creating Um, space for how much reflect how much did he weigh like and and it's just bringing that acknowledgement that that baby existed and you are a mother um whether you got to bring your baby home or not you are mother Mm -hmm. still and i think it changes as time goes by both gina and 
Nicole had said, like, at first, like, what did Nicole say? I would never have talked about this. And then as it became normal for us, we wanted it to be more normal for other people. And then Gina was talking about how she felt in the beginning compared to how. So it might change for you. Like, in in the moment, you might want to really talk about the baby that you had. And then a few years later, you might want to not. And then a few years after that, you might want to talk about it again. And I think it's all fine. It was really fascinating to, because I'm sorry, I'm like the one experience personally recently with the stillbirth that we had at 36 weeks but it was like fascinating to witness grief in such like a consolidated form so like Mm -hmm. you're right like at the hospital like they don't rush you like you get as much time with your baby as you want and there's very little expectation and there's also no judgment at all when you're ready to move on or not move on but when you're ready to leave the hospital um and so we were there for like maybe six hours postpartum with the baby and um it was really fascinating to witness the, the stages of grief unfolding in such a condensed period of time like within those six hours like you saw the birth high and then you saw the sorrow and then you saw the like where we all just checked out for a minute and we just needed to not talk about it for mm-hmm. a minute and then we like were crying again and then we ate chick-fil-a and just laughed about saturday night live skates and then we cried again and it was just like so and like that's like you know like this mom is and these family members that's they're going to be their daily life Mm -hmm. for days months years like however long it takes to go through that grieving process um and and it's just like so wild to witness that and just recognize like yeah this is this is what people go through and like this is like a little microcosm it's like what gina said yeah you can break your life into two parts like before your loss and after your loss but you're never the same after mm-hmm. that loss and the grief never goes away. It changes and you learn how to put it into your life, but it's still always there. Yeah. Um, and I you do learn from that. When she talked about the veils, like, Oh my gosh, that was, it was so amazing so like, to acknowledge. And this is why birth and death are absolute mere opposites, but also so similar. Mm-hmm. Like, there are the veils that are present. And so when she said she felt the veil of the birth and then she could feel the veil of the death. And I think these are the things that we need to talk more about. Like, you know, you teach your kids about driving or about, and now some of you brave to talk about puberty. Well, why can't we talk more about the phases Mm -hmm. of life? Mm -hmm. And then as she was talking, I started thinking about birth. Like when she said that woman said, this is how it's going to be. And and it sucks. And then it's okay. And this is normal. Like I, so many times when a mom has been like crying or yelling and she'll be like, it's so horrible. And then, and then the people that she loves are trying to say like, no, it's okay. It's okay. And I'll be like, no, it's not. It fucking sucks. It's okay. It's okay to say that. And then the, like, they're like, oh, thank you for validating that. Like, how do we help people validate these different moments of the veils of life. And it's just crazy to me that everyone's born and everyone dies. And why? And yet we never talk we, about right. Like, we, why do we, we even need a podcast? We tuck those things yeah. in the boxes and like hide them away. And that's not how life used to be. Like babies used to be born and die all the time. And death, you know, even for older people was a much more like normal, normal. thing. Like yeah. it was just like it happened and it wasn't so such a mystery. Um, whereas now I feel like we do try to hide it away and pretend it's not going to happen, but it is interesting what Gina said. Like if you come to a point where you realize that death happens as a part of life, it's a growing experience in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how she said she wouldn't change the outcome because it helped 
her be the person she is today that who she acknowledges is a stronger person for it and like also she's teaching her children to be stronger people for it like the fact Mm -hmm. that her daughter has the space and the empathy and the understanding to mourn for her lost sister that she never got to meet like how beautiful is that and I mean Mm -hmm. very challenging like it must be so hard to witness your child like feeling sad in that way but um I do feel like that's missing in our society like that safe space to to mourn those Mm -hmm. things that we don't talk about well children are such like we forget how sensitive they are and resilient yeah Yeah. just like the innocence of humanity Mm -hmm. but they feel crush later they feel things so much stronger than we do and so i think that we as adults we tend to try and like keep them out of situations especially hard ones Mm -hmm. um where it's like kids are so able to understand if you explain it to them in like simple ways and to really and to really you know like get through things yeah um and i remember that with my daughter ren because i had a grandmother who she met once or twice before she passed and she lived far away and even still when she died she was like so upset she's like i really wanted to get to see her again and meet her again because it was like that family connection even though she didn't know her and to me it's like oh they don't even know her so that's not gonna affect her so it's like i can only imagine being like oh you have a sister who's not here anymore like that that longing to be like i wonder what my sister is like yeah we actually we when i had evie and ren and penny in the car the other day the three of them just started talking about death randomly like they were just talking about i think she mentioned your grandmother Mm -hmm. or yeah your grandmother and then penny mentioned my grandmother and then evie i don't remember if evie was just talking in general but they were just talking about like things they felt did she mention the fat pop up maybe i'm trying to remember they talked about him a lot. um they just talked about like what they felt comfortable with like they obviously felt yeah. comfortable mourning them but they, but they were like we didn't like seeing their bodies afterwards it was really cool mm-hmm. it was like i don't remember where that conversation came and from and you let that conversation happen and yeah. i think in our society we shut it down mm-hmm. and chuck does it like our kids love to talk and process everything oh yeah and it's exhausting i'm not and gonna it can lie. be uncomfortable it can be uncomfortable it sometimes i'm like can we please just stop talking right now i need a minute but Chuck will be like, we're not talking about that anymore. And I'm like, you can't. Yeah. Just because you don't know how to answer their question. Like you have to keep it going or that's else we're they, just. That's how they figure stuff out. Right. And come to be adults that are emotionally available to deal with the things that we are going to all have to deal with. Yeah. At some point in time. And um, maybe if we talked more about death in general, and this is not, I feel like when you know, we're not saying it's easy and it, we're making it sound like it's easy. I know it's not easy. But think of how people act when someone dies. Like your grandmama or mm-hmm. like my pop-up when he died. And like what people go through. And I and I think, and I'm not saying for our families it was this way. But for many families, suddenly brothers and sisters are fighting. And mm-hmm. cousins are fighting. And it's like they're all grief stricken. They don't know how to handle that. No one has talked about the death and what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. so then we're expected to grieve and then figure out all these life problems. Whereas maybe if we talked about death as a part of life and had these conversations ahead of time, which are so hard, but... You know, like Evie but started crying the other day when I was blow drying her hair because I was like, oh, I'm old now. And she's like, when you say you're old, it means you're going to die and it makes <laughs> me unhappy. And please don't talk about being old. And I'm like, well, oh. tough shit. Now we really need to talk well, about it. OK, <laughs> but we'll talk about it later because it's part of life. But it is. Yeah. So emotional. 
Uh, I feel how Evie feels about that right now. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think Jess is tearing not up. Talk about that anymore. I went I into a spiral it. of a panic the other day because I realized I'm in my 40s and I was like, "Oh my god, half my life is over." Oh That's my god, half my life, life is, is over. Yeah, 105. And like, Are you serious right now? And I'm like, "Yes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm halfway done this life already. What if my next life sucks? Like, I'm, I don't know what to do." And he's like, "I'm walking away." <laughs> That's where Evie gets it from. <laughs> anyway, and, and we're not saying it's easy, as I keep saying. It's yeah. such a hard conversation. But the more we talk about it, maybe the easier. I, I've never heard of a death of a child sound so beautiful. And mm-hmm. I know for most it doesn't. But just to see how healthy someone can be after going through something so hard yeah. was so inspiring to me. And we that recognize moment. that people will get there on their own. Well, sorry, people might never get there. But people... And my it'll, people will if they're going to get to that place of healing and peace, like it'll be at their own pace through their own ways. Like some people would benefit from therapy. Some people have an amazing community. That's enough for them. Some people need to like just go be on their own for a while. And I'm sure it's like a combination of a lot of those things. But like I just want to like reiterate like this is not saying you have to react a, di- a certain way to be healthy or like mm-hmm. you have to be a certain way in your healing process like everybody has their own journey and that's why we do this is to like create safe spaces for people to share their journeys and hear each other so you can know I don't know just like know what's out there yeah so just like we were talking about with miscarriage too um when there's a loss like this as well I don't think nearly as enough people talk about how hard it can be on like relationships because grief can tear people apart if they are grieving in different ways Mm -hmm. and the different ways aren't appreciated like some Mm -hmm. people grieve through humor some people completely shut down um and it it can be a really tough time for relationships as well yeah um, to stay together through a grieving process so there's like so many different things to consider when going through grief and like trying to help people through that day-to-day stuff um can help them just be able to focus on their grief so they don't have to like carry everything else in their life the way Gene was saying. Right, like food. Like I cannot believe how important food is and just taking away the day-to-day demands so you can just do nothing if that's where you're at at that moment. And with that being said, like to the people who are grieving, I think it's okay to acknowledge that the main person in your life may not be the one that's able oh, for sure. to yeah. help you through it. And yeah. and that, you know, and so many people get divorced after losing mm-hmm. a child mm-hmm. or, you know, losing whatever, anything really. And so relying, you know, my partner should be the one person that gets me through this, but if they are also grieving and they grieve in a different way, it's okay to look outside of your relationship in a healthy way for a therapist or your mother or father who's been through it or a friend like that has to be okay. So if your partner is talking to someone else more about this and it's an appropriate person like that's okay Mm -hmm. if you're grieving maybe you can't help another person who's also grieving you know yeah but also remembering too that a big part of the grief process can be anger and sometimes that anger can get directed in places that's unhealthy and not telling you that you need to not do that but also being aware Mm -hmm. that if you're feeling really angry that's normal um, but also knowing that they might be going through the same thing too. And sometimes, um, we pick the easiest person 
to get mad or the at, safest person or the safest person yeah. to get mad at um because we just want to be mad at somebody yeah and your partner is usually the one person that you're comfortable it's just like labor again you know <laughs> i can do the same thing the partner's doing but the laboring person is going to turn and scream at their partner because they're comfortable with they're them. They're the safe space. Like it, it's a good, it's a good sign. It's just an uncomfortable place to be. Also, like grounding yourself, like anything else, that recognizing, like it might be like the deepest, darkest chapter of your life, but like it is a chapter. Just like Gina said, like it will become a memory. Like I know that's not even what you need to hear in the moment, and that's okay. But like wrecking, like if that anger is being channeled in a way that's unhealthy, like giving it space, but also recognizing it's just a chapter. And so we need to start to wrap up the episode, but I really just wanted to draw attention to, again, the existence of these babies and the existence of these parents who carry this heavy load throughout their life. And there's so many people that don't ever go through that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's that saying that you should never have to bury your child um, because it doesn't feel natural. And it's not something that uh, we ever think we're going to have to do. When my uncle died in his 30s, I just remember a lot of the things that Gina said my grandmother was saying, and he was 30. Yeah. Like the emotion that you feel losing a child. child, Like, yeah. it, it does matter and, and and it doesn't matter how old they are and and it's like I've never been through it so I might honestly this episode for me is just hoping that we are bringing awareness and and some extra normalcy to some events but I don't even know yeah <laughs> and know. like if you've had experiences like we would love for you to reach out if you need that community or someone just to hear your story and you know validate what you went through and we would you know People need a community. We haven't said the whole thing. It takes a village, but be the village. Go out there and be the village for people and follow their lead in what they need on any given day and it'll change. But and this is one of you out there listening is going to have this happen now. Someone's going to say, oh, I had a baby or I have two here and, and one in heaven. And now, like, maybe think about how will I respond to someone? It's OK if you're like me and you glitch for a second and you have to process mm-hmm. the question. But then have something that you can say that's beautiful or helpful yeah. and bring some light to that moment instead of ducking your head. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's bad to realize like when it comes to support, cause I've totally done it. Like known people who went through um, traumatic losses. And then when you see them, it's like my, my brain is like, Oh my gosh, how do I bring up? What do I say? What do I say? Yeah. What do I do? And then I don't. And then I'm kicking myself. Like, I can't believe that you didn't, you didn't do the thing that you always say you're, you're supposed to do. Right. Um, like just ignore the elephant in the room. Um, so it's never too late to go back and, you know, Igno- yeah, later, send a text or acknowledgement. A phone call send a, or yeah. And I feel like just that acknowledgement of like, I'm, I really apologize that, I did not acknowledge that the last since the last time I saw you, you had this loss, but I want you to know that I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking of your baby and that you matter and I'm here for you. Or like Nicole said, like whenever you're ready, if you know, to talk about it or however I can be present for you, let me know. Just be available. Yeah. And so I think that's what I wanted to end out the episode with is for all the parents out there who've gone through grief um, and all the parents out there or all the people out there supporting through grief and all the babies that have been lost. I just want to say that you do matter and your stories do matter. And your babies and do your matter. your babies do matter. Um, yeah. 
And if you happen to hear, and I don't know if we're going to be able to make it happen because, you know, we're not great at this, but if you hear different music on this episode, that's Gina. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely do a little shout out for her if we're able to pull yes. that together. Yeah. And so the only other thing that we have to say is... Cheers! Cheers! Cheers. Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> <laughs>